0: 2 Kings 3. I'll
1: be reading this morning from the Complete Jewish Bible, chapter 3, verses 1 through 20. Jehoram son of Ahav, began his reign over Israel in Shamron during the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Yehudah, and he ruled for 12 years. He did what was evil from Adonai's perspective, but he was not as bad as his father and mother because he got rid of of Baal stand, Baal's standing stone, which his father had made. Nevertheless, he clung to the sins of Yaruf, um the son of Nevat, with which he had led Israel into sin. He never turned away from them. Mesha, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, and he used to send the king of Israel the wool of a hundred thousand lambs and of a hundred thousand rams as tribute. But after Ahav died. The king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. Jehoram left Shamron and mustered all Israel. He also went and sent this word to Yehoshaphat, king of Yehuda. The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you join me in attacking Moab? He answered, I will join in the attack. I am with you all the way. Think of my people and horses as yours. Which route should we take, he added. The road through the desert of Edom, answered Jehoram. So the king of Israel set out along with the king of Yehuda and the king of Edom. After a roundabout journey of seven days, there was no water for either the army or the animals following them. This is terrible, exclaimed the king of Israel. Has Adonai called these three kings together only to hand them over to Moab? But Jehoshaphat said, isn't there a prophet of Adonai here through whom we can consult Adonai? One of the servants of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, the one who used to pour water on Eliyahu's hands. Jehoshaphat said, The word of Adonai is with him. So the king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, and the king of Edom went down to consult him. Elisha said to the king of Israel, What do you and I have in common? Go consult your father's prophets and your mother's prophets. But the king of Israel answered him, No, because Adonai has called these three kings together to hand them over to Moab. Elisha said, As Adonai Tzavaot lives, before whom I stand, if I didn't respect the fact that Jehoshaphat, the king of Yehuda is here, I wouldn't even look in your direction or take notice of you. But now bring me a musician. As the musician played, the hand of Adonai fell on Elisha, and he said, Adonai says to dig until this valley is full of trenches, for here is what Adonai says. You won't see wind and you won't see rain. Nevertheless, the valley will be filled with water and you will drink, you, your cattle, and your other animals. That's an easy thing to do from Adonai's perspective. He will also hand Moab over to you. You will conquer every fortified city and every choice town. You will chop down every good tree, stop up every well, and ruin every good field with stones. The next morning, around the time for making the offering, water came from the direction of Edom, and the countryside was filled with water.
0: Thank you, Renee, for that wonderful reading. Um, I think most of us really uh, don't connect well with the story and the characters because all we know about uh, Jehoshaphat is the phrase jumping Jehoshaphat (laughs) uh, which really isn't uh, too well connected to the story Um, by the way I was thinking as I was preparing about the um, all-American greenback and uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the fact that there's all kinds of intriguing and bizarre um, aspects to, to the uh, greenback. But the thing that I was reminded of is this one little phrase, in God we trust. And of course there's on one hand, on the other hand, on one hand this is a pretty profound statement. Um, I don't know of any other country that has that phrase on its uh, currency Um, on the other hand which God are we talking about? and what does it mean to trust God? Um, at this point the United States is a goulash you know sort of a mixture of a little bit of this a little bit of that of religion Uh, it's a cafeteria where you can come and sample whatever you like, whatever feels good, whatever makes you happy, uh, whatever fits in in your lifestyle, um, something that is user-friendly. In other words, it's something syncretistic. Uh, It's a mixture. You you have a little bit from here, a little bit from there. Uh, I was reading in the uh, Denver Post about the uh, fire west of Fort Collins. Uh, Pretty amazing stuff. I guess at this point it's one of the largest fires ever. But uh, it has been threatening the um, Shambhala Buddhist community uh, in the mountains near Fort Collins. And it just triggered in my mind, you know, as I drive um, not far from our house there is the um, International Society for Krishna Consciousness. You know, here where you have the mega church rose, you may not be as much aware of it, but the truth is we live in a society that um, is a mixture of uh, religious and spiritual mixture. And in my estimation, it's also a society that is morally and spiritually defiled and bankrupt. Nothing new under the sun. You know, as you've been following the Elisha and Elijah story with me the last couple of weeks, um, you'll know that this is pretty amazing stuff. You know, it's one thing to think about uh, an absolutely godless society, like, for example, what what the Soviet Union was uh, in its heyday. Uh, Where there was absolutely no religion tolerated. Um, That certainly was not the case in Israel. The king in the story today, Yehoram or the English Bibles have it as Joram. Yehoram means God is exalted. The God of Israel is exalted. Now scripture tells us that there was a little bit of good about this guy and a whole lot of bad. The good was that he removed the stone pillar to uh, Baal Baal, um, in Samaria. The bad stuff was that Baalism, the worship of Baal continued to thrive in Israel. The worship of Asherah, the goddess of fertility, continued to thrive. Um, As you read in these chapters, you'll see the fact that part of the culture was the use of male and female prostitutes in the temple. And they were called holy, Kadesh. Um, And here you have this geopolitical movement of armies One army coming this way, wanting to come that way, wanting to conquer uh, the Edomites and so on. Is there anything about God in it? And at least for me as I've been reading that, it it just smacked me in the face because it it is so contemporary. You know, you look at our society and it seems like uh, there really isn't a whole lot about God in our society. You know, people talk about God a lot, but in terms of the presence, the reality, the power of God, the holiness of God, all the things that Scripture explains and talks about, it really isn't there. And as we've been seeing, it really isn't so much a product only of what's out there in society, it's also what's in here, and the fact that we need to be energized and driven and empowered and given holy chutzpah, how to stand and make a difference in this society. So I wanted to pause first of all and, and, and take a moment to pray and ask that the Lord would speak to us. Lord God, we, uh, we thank you that you know and understand all the facts on the ground. Lord reality as as it's played out and unfolded in our life in our particular situations. We pray Lord God that you would give us the courage Lord to look beyond the facts on the ground to see you to see Lord God what you want to do and to be driven and empowered by your spirit to live by faith in confident expectation that you are able and willing to work in us and through us. We thank you, Lord, for the wonderful testimonies we heard earlier today in Israel and also here. Thank you, Lord God, that you, our God, reigns. We bless you and thank you, Lord. In the name of Yeshua, amen. amen. A little bit about Yehoram. Uh, Again, what I wanted to be able to do is kind of draw for you the background of the picture so we can zoom in and and see what's going on uh, spiritually. Scripture tells us in in this portion that, verse 3, that he clung to the sins of Jeroboam, Jeroboam, which had caused Israel to commit, which he had caused Israel to commit. Interesting Hebrew word that today has the connotation of sticking like glue, davak, which means that even though he apparently paid lip service to the notion that, you know, maybe the God of Israel uh, didn't really like having Baal uh, in such a prominent place, And he removed it, yet the worship of the golden bulls, the golden calves at the north of the country, in Dan and also in Beth El. Again, very ironic names. Beth El means the house of God. He clung to it. He clung to it. And scripture says as well that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. That's the summary of, of his reign. and apparently what happens as far as the geopolitics of the situation of of this story uh, Moab and can we have the map we'll look at it real briefly to give you a better perspective there is a rebellion and there is a movement of armies just a real brief explanation so that you know what's happening Uh, you know that at this point Israel, uh, that the kingdom that David and Solomon ruled was split essentially in half, that the northern kingdom was called Israel or Ephraim, um, not the Ephraimites, but the real Ephraimites, um, and that the capital was somewhere in here um, in a fairly high location city called Samaria. Then Judah and Simeon formed the southern kingdom of Judah. Then across in what is now Jordan, um, we have Moab, all the way down here I don't know if you can see it. This is the Dead Sea, and right below it is Edom, Edom, uh, by the way, which is where Petra is. You may have heard of Petra, the Petra rocks. In any event, what is happening? Um, Moab was a vassal. In other words, uh, it, it, uh, Israel took control of Moab and so because of that, every year, uh, the kingdom of Moab had to bring a whole bunch of tribute, in this case, hundreds of thousands of sheep to the kingdom of Israel, to the king of Israel. And at this point, the king of Moab, Mesha, gets tired and says, you know, what's up with this? Enough is enough. And so he rebels and he chooses to discontinue sending the tribute. Is there any way we can raise that? There probably isn't. Okay. Uh, and if you need to, you can stand in the back and so you can have a better look. Um, so the king of Israel realizes that if he were to come and try to attack Moab uh, from, from the north, he would probably not do well because it was better fortified. So what he's thinking is we'll come down south to Judah and come around Edom and then attack Moab from, from the south. By the way, at this point, uh, Edom is a vassal under the control of the kingdom of Judah sounds like good strategy right? makes good sense you want to attack your enemy at the weakest point you don't want to come where he is strongest and um, the strategy is wonderful one basic problem with it where is God in the picture he isn't as far as Yehoram Yoram is concerned that's no brainer because this is the guy whose main advisors were the uh, prophets of Baal you know you need to know something you come to the prophets of Baal and you say here's a wad of shkalim. I want you to give me a good prophecy to know what I'm supposed to do it, you know it's fascinating as you read the story You see how the uh, prophets basically turn on the dime and tell you what you want to hear. Not terribly unusual, you know. Um, God often tells us things we don't want to hear. In any event, um, God is not in the picture. However, what we have to understand is that God, even though the northern kingdom is rebellious in his idol worship God has not stopped being the God of Israel both the northern half and the southern half and what he says to Israel is hello, where should you go for counsel? but to me, in Isaiah chapter 8 he says when men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists occult, who whisper and mutter should not a people inquire of their God You know, his point is, I know you're rotten, uh, but I love you. One of my favorite scriptures, and because I love you, I want to instruct you. One of my favorite scriptures, Psalm 25, 8, good and upright is the Lord. This is who he is. That's his character. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his way. Now, that was Israel. That you and I, we are sinners, right? Amen? I guess I'm the only sinner here. Good and upright is the Lord. This is who He is. He is faithful. Um, He wants to instruct and direct people. Therefore, He guides them. He gives them their instruction. So He comes to Yehoshaphat, which, by the way, means God has judged And he talks to Yehoshaphat and he says, Will you join me in attacking Edom? And uh, Yehoshaphat says to him, Yeah, no problem. Now when you stop and think about that, it is mind-boggling that in this conversation between the godless Yehoram and Yehoshaphat, there is no mention of God. And yet, we know that Yehoshaphat was one of the most godly kings that Judah ever had. Let me just read to you a couple of statements. This is from Chronicles 17. The Lord was with Yehoshaphat. He walked in the ways... His father, David, had followed. He did not consult the Baals. By the way, it tells you that there was Baal worship in Judah as well. But he sought the God of his father and followed his commands. His heart was devoted to the ways of the Lord. Um, In everything, he walked in the ways of his father, Asa, and he did not stray from them. He did what was right Literally what was straight in God's eyes. He, wasn't, he didn't divert. He didn't go off crookedly, perversely. Read to you from Second Chronicles 17 and 1 Kings 22. So, Jehoshaphat is a guy who is godly. He lives that life. Uh, in Second Chronicles 19, we're told that Jehoshaphat didn't just live in the palace, He was a traveling preacher. I don't know if you knew that. He was a traveling preacher. He went up and down the land, and we were told that he turned the people's hearts back to the God of their fathers. Now think about the implications. That doesn't mean that he gets on the internet and and sends a flash... um, flash message to thousands of people there's footwork involved and it's more than once and he goes and goes and goes up and down the land instructing people telling them to turn back to the God of their fathers then of course there's the unbelievably famous prayer in 2nd Chronicles that you wish our leaders would, would pray this kind of prayer. Um, this is Second uh, Chronicles 20. He stands and says, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of, of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Think about the logistics, the mechanics of this. Can you imagine a modern army being attacked and the head, the commander-in-chief begins by calling the people to come to a central place where everybody can fast and pray. Can you, can you visualize that? And as they go into the battle, the first thing that they do, they stand and they have a worship service. They worship God. Jehoshaphat stands and says, have faith in the Lord and, and you will be upheld. Very strong in Hebrew, same kind of if, if you have faith you will be upheld this is Jehoshaphat an unbelievably godly king and yet like all of us he has a blind spot a big, big blind spot a stronghold in his life that he inherited from his father can say sort of a generational sin. He doesn't have a problem in making alliance, being unequally yoked with the absolutely rotten kings of the north. In fact, he gives his son in marriage to, to Ahab's daughter. It just boggles the mind. And then you see him on more than one occasion, making these alliances with, with the kings of Israel. Now, again, there are good strategic reasons for that, good sensible reasons for that. Um, if you're facing hostile enemies to the north and to the east um, and to the south, you, know, you want to bolster and strengthen your position. You know, that we, we get. But where's God in the picture? Where's God in the picture? Do you, first of all, go in the choir and say, God, is this what you want me to do? Now, again, remember, this guy's life was characterized by being godly. Now, what it simply tells us is that all of us, regardless of where we are in our relationship with God, typically have at least one or two or three spots in our life that are pockets of yuck I know that's a nicely spiritual term <laughs> <laughs> that either we got by trans- uh, transmitted to us from our parents uh, things that we developed because of poor choices we made miserably poor choices and We paid for it. There are consequences to our sin. And remember what Scripture says, that when you open the door to the evil one, he comes in and establishes a beachhead. That certainly was the case with Esau and with his son Jehoshaphat. They made a mess. And what Scripture tells us, and we see in this story, is that Despite our inclination to try and fix our messes, what the Lord wants us to do when we realize we have a mess is to stop. To stop. Be still and know that He is God. To stop, drop it, relinquish control and say, Abba, Father, I made a mess. Here it is in all its glory. And I know that you're in a business of fixing and redeeming, would you please restore and clean and fix up what's been broken? Again, we are very much both like Yehoram, but I I would say even more like Jehoshaphat. You know, as you learn to follow the Lord and and you want to pursue His ways and you want to grow in your spiritual life and God blesses you, you encounter the simple fact that there are areas in your life that are out of God's control. That you desperately have to learn to say, God, here are the keys to every single room in my house every single closet in my house absolutely you have complete run of my house there's no place in my house that is off limits to you then at that point the Lord comes and he shines his light and says my son, my daughter, there's junk here we need to deal with it are you willing? Are you willing? He's able to redeem. And of course in this case, God uses this amazing guy named Elisha. Now I don't know about you, uh, I have a hard time relating to Elisha. Uh, when was the last time that you, you talked to the king, uh, in this case President Obama, and, uh, and said to him this is what God is saying such and such will happen and see it happen unbelievable chutzpah but there are connections and, and I, first of all I want to talk about how, the, how we do not relate to Elisha and then how we do relate how we must relate in this case, you first of all have to remember that Elisha didn't... Uh, he wasn't born speaking the word of God to kings. You know, He didn't come out of the, of the womb saying, uh, Ga, ga, goo, goo, gee, gee, uh, thus saith the Lord. He first of all had to come and what scripture says here it describes him as pouring water on Elijah's hands. I kind of puzzle about that. And and I don't believe that he went to the uh, water fountain and filled a jug and then came and poured it on Elijah's hands. I I believe that's a a dramatic figurative expression saying that he was right there to do whatever needed to be done, whether to go and fetch coffee or whether to represent Elijah with the kings of Israel everything from A to Z and he learns to step into authority and he learns how to walk in that authority and I, wanted to, I felt led today to take some time to speak about this whole issue that for many of us is extremely painful for one reason or another it's often an emotionally laden term for people mostly negative because of bad authority figures we've had down the line either bad authority figure in our formative years in our parents bad authority figure um, at work in our jobs, bad authority figures in our congregation and part of what happens is we come and we're predisposed to have this very negative filter about authority and folks, what we have to recognize is like everything else there's the good and the bad the good, the bad and the ugly Um, authority comes from God, folks it is a wonderful it is a blessed thing authority in scripture means the God-given power to accomplish a God-given commission If you understand authority, what it means is that it's all about God. It's not about the human who has the authority. The humans who have the authority are merely the tools that God uses to get His job done. And whatever amount of authority God gives you You have to stand before God in fear and trembling and say, Lord, uh, I can take this authority and mess it up big time. And then I have to give an account to you and I don't want to defile it. I want to make sure that the authority, the power you give me is properly invested in my life and the life of other people to do your work sobering. When you look at folks who you know have been abusing spiritual authority, you stand and, and you tremble because you know God is a righteous judge. The Lord does not tolerate anybody misusing authority. Why? Because first of all, the Lord says, I will not give my glory to another. Second of all, each of us has authority from God. Do you realize that God has given you authority? Delegated power to accomplish God's work. Yeshua said, when, as He was ascending, all authority is given to me, therefore go. In other words, go with the authority I've given you. And we think of spiritual authority as only belonging to the folks who have the titles before or after their names. That's a very uh, limited understanding of the power that God gives. Each of us has been called by God to do the work of the ministry. Folks, do you realize that you've been called to do the work of the kingdom of God? You have to Understand the authority that God gives you and walk in it. Exercise it properly. Use it properly. In humility, Scripture says, "Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, and He will lift you up in due time." And you know how much junk there is that around that whole issue, you know, and. After all the years in ministry I've had people come and either tell me that I'm too loose authority or else I'm too strong in authority that I I view authority as something like Tammany Hall patronage system, I give it like candy to whoever I like. Folks, um, spiritual authority is sobering. It is sobering, it is precious cannot be misused, cannot be abused. It has to be invested by God. You see that with Elisha. Elisha knew how to be under authority and he knew how to be in authority. Let me state that again. If you don't know how to be under authority, you have no clue how to be in authority. Because all of us are under God's authority and under authority of others And then God teaches us how to be in authority. Elisha here is not terribly uh, user friendly to the king of Israel. He says, Who are you? Why don't you pack your bags and go to the prophets that tickle your fancy? The prophets that you inherited from your, your padre and madre. And, he, and Elisha says that a couple times, which from our perspective, may sound like he's being rude, but he is rebuking he's rebuking Jehoram, Yehoram, to jolt him into realizing that he is not in a good place. to jolt him out of his complacency. Now again, remember folks, this is the worst possible kind of situation. You know, here you have one absolutely godless king, and here you have a very godly king who is acting like he's clueless. And you have armies, the army from Israel, the army from Judah, the army from Edom, in a crisis mode they've been marching for seven days there is no water and folks crises provide God with a special and unique platform to show His stuff to demonstrate His power let me say that again our crises our difficulties provide God with unique platform that He can operate on and show His power and that's exactly what he does if you look at the words that Elisha speaks it lasts what about uh, 30 seconds a minute um, verse 17 and 18 and 19 less than one minute just a few words you will not see the wind you will not see the rain the valley shall be filled with water They get up in the morning and this absolutely dry vadi, which is typically um, a a riverbed that is dry except for those rare times when there's rain. The whole valley is filled with water. There was no rain and yet it's filled with water. Doesn't that tell you about the power of God? Water is flowing. and, And then he uh, Elisha also says giving you the water is is little stuff I can do the real uh, bigger job and that is seeing to it that, that you are able to defeat the Moabites not because you're such a wonderful warrior and a strategist but because I want to demonstrate my power And folks, the the simple message here is none of us is Elisha. None of us stand and say, this is what God says, the valley's going to be filled with water. You know, go to Deer Creek Canyon and and you say to the people who live there, "Uh, this valley's going to be filled with water. I mean, this is not us on one hand. On the other hand, make the connection. You have to make the connection. Connect the dots, folks. And that is each one of us has been given the Word of God. We are bearers, we're communicators of the Word of God. That to the extent that you feed and meditate and put the Word of God into your computers, what is going to come out is the heart of God reflected through His Word. In one form or another, and remember... That the Word of God is alive and effectively powerful and ergeo, sharper than two-edged sword, able to divide and cut all the baloney and sift truth from, from, from falsehood. There's power in it. And God puts us in different situations that seem to be mind-boggling and complicated and difficult And we can either try to strategize like Yehoram and Yehoshaphat and say, okay, we have a problem. Moab is rebelling. Let's see what we can figure out. Or you can step back and say, God, there is a problem. Now how are you going to resolve it? How are you going to fix it? How will you demonstrate your power in this situation? Now just like Joanne was led to to share... That the God of Israel wants to be there with Melissa. It was an authoritative word from God. The Lord equipped her with His power to say those words and He equipped those of us who are praying for Melissa. And through our human words, the real job was done. Folks, I, I just want to encourage you to read and reread this portion of Scripture and say, Lord, would you please open my eyes and pull back the curtains and show me the possibilities of what you can and want to do in my life and through my life to touch others? It is not about us. Authority is not about us. It's all about the Lord. It's about the fact that the Lord has plans, the fact that the Lord wants to accomplish those plans, the fact that the Lord wants to use us, the fact that the Lord wants to c- communicate to us and through us. question simply is, are we willing? Are we willing? You know, our life is so tinged often with negativism and defeatism. You know, do you ever feel like, like Sisyphus? Uh, this is not found in scripture, but I'll amuse you hopefully with that story. There's a Greek mythology fellow named Sisyphus who was punished by the gods uh, for what he did with the task of rolling up a rock up, the, up a hill only to have the rock come tumbling back down and and him having to start all over again you ever feel like sisyphus without god that's us with god the story is completely different we understand the authority of god we walk in that authority we do what god has called us to do and most of all we make a beeline for the lord we make a beeline for the Lord where are you today with all of this you know life can sometimes squash us and, and, and flatten our faith our love relationship with the Lord and the Lord always calls us to come and reconnect with Him and fall in love with Him again and, and learn to worship Him that's the biggie folks for us it's a premium it's a premium here Um, perhaps it isn't for you let me just put the, the challenge out to you that you would come to the Lord and say Lord I want to learn to worship you I don't know what it means and furthermore There is so much inertia against that. I have a hard time getting up. Shabbat morning, you know, I'm tired. uh, I'm distracted. The kids are noisy, etc., etc. Yes, on one hand. On the other hand, how big is your God? How big is your God? Do Do you have a heart that wants to grow and wants to learn and wants to worship Him? Joy and I are going to be gone for the next couple weeks. And I want to encourage you during those two weeks and other times just to say, Lord, would you please do a new thing with me? Do a new thing with me. Give me a heart to worship you. Teach me how to do that. Work out the circumstances. Work out the circumstances. And by the way, next Shabbat, we're going to have doors up here. That's not us. That's Greenwood Community Church, our host, is putting doors. And I'm delighted by that. Because the doors are not meant to exclude anybody. The doors are meant to help promote the grasp That this little space is God's sanctuary. Kadosh. And then when you come in on Shabbat. That you seek to come prepared. And that you do it. Without. Looking to check everybody else out. Or trying to slink in because you're late. But coming in. with the attitude that says, Lord, I want to worship you. And let me challenge you, if you're one of these folks who tend to miss a chunk of the worship service, let me ask you that you put that front and center in the times that you and God have conversations, that you say, Lord, would you please do something about it? I don't know how to fix it. You can. Would you please roll up your sleeves and get to work and show me and teach me and move things out of the way and do all that because I want to worship you. I want to worship you. I want to change. I want to grow and I want to know what it means to worship you. You come prepared. You come prepared to worship the God of Israel. You come prepared to listen and hear what He has to say to you throughout the whole service please pray that the Lord will indeed speak to you as you come next Shabbat James is going to bring a wonderful word I'm very excited about it and the following Shabbat Jeff Feinberg who is a veteran in the Messianic Jewish movement is going to come and share with us he's a wonderful brother he has good things to share with us but bottom line folks come preparing to hear from God because the Lord wants to speak to you regardless of where you feel you are you know in the story that we're reading today we're looking at today the Lord shows himself as eager to speak to his people regardless of where they are spiritually the Lord wants to do that with you come seeking that come prepared let's pray Lord God we praise you And we thank you for your unbelievable patience and mercy with us, Lord, who hear and don't understand or hear and are clueless or hear and are not eager to follow. Lord God, we pray that you bring about a transformation in all of, across the spectrum, Lord, for each of us. That we would hear with discernment, Lord God, that you'll give us ears to hear and give us hearts that are eager to take your word and to follow. Lord God, we pray that you will bring about that transformation. Open our eyes, Lord, to see you. Give us that passion, Lord, to walk towards you, to walk in your ways. We ask this, Lord, in the name of Yeshua. Amen.